Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So, we're in uh, um, Daniel chapter 4. And uh, I don't know how many of you guys, well, I'm sure most of you, probably all of you, remember Saddam Hussein. Um, According to the Encyclopedia of the Developing World, um, Saddam Hussein, during his lifetime and during his reign in Iraq, considered himself or fashioned himself as the reincarnation of King Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know if you knew that. He thought he was the reincarnation of King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Ancient Babylon was located in Iraq, and uh, he actually started doing some rebuilding projects of the ancient city of Babylon. And according to this encyclopedia, he even had the inscription, this inscription, to King Nebuchadnezzar in the reign of Saddam Hussein, uh, inscribed on bricks, inserted into the walls of the ancient city of Babylon, uh, the palace. We're going to, next week, we're going to get to chapter 5, or not next week, two weeks from now, we're going to get to chapter 5, uh, talking about Belshazzar and uh, the downfall of, uh, I was going to say of Iraq, but uh, of Babylon. And uh, that palace that the story takes place in chapter 5, apparently Saddam Hussein started rebuilding that palace. And was and was uh, in the process. I think they were actually he was actually you know staying in there um, during that time. So he really connected with Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Um, but did you know that if you this morning are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, that you have one thing in common with King Nebuchadnezzar that Saddam Hussein never had? And uh, I'm going to talk about that, and I'll give you the answer to that shortly here. But chapter 4 includes a declaration that King Nebuchadnezzar issued throughout his empire. So we're going to look at that here in chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. So this is the words of Nebuchadnezzar that's written down, recorded by Daniel for, uh, for you and me to read. It says, Nebuchadnezzar the king... To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are His signs and how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion is from generation to generation. This is the king of Babylon and he makes this declaration. What's the declaration? He says, I thought it would be good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. Notice how Nebuchadnezzar refers to God here in this chapter here. The signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. Going back earlier in our study in Daniel, uh, in Daniel chapter 2, Remember, King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and Daniel interpreted the king's dream. And in response to that interpretation, in Daniel 2, verse 47, it says, The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods. So, you know, he was acknowledging the God of Daniel, but he says, Your God is a God of gods. So at that point, Nebuchadnezzar was still a polytheist. In other words, he believed in more and many gods. Um, and so he was still clinging to his polytheism. Um, after some years had passed, 
and we talked about that next week, or last week, excuse me, um, Nebuchadnezzar built a 90-foot tall image of gold, and we know that story. Uh, his pride had returned. And uh, <clears throat> uh, God delivered Shadrach, actually before God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, Nebuchadnezzar responded to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and said, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? So, you know, at that point, uh, he felt like he was more powerful than any of the gods. Um, And then God, of course, does show up and delivers Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace right before Nebuchadnezzar's eyes. And Nebuchadnezzar's response, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him. And then later on there it says, Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. So you kind of get an idea of how Nebuchadnezzar viewed God. But now, in this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar is referring to Jehovah as the Most High God. What changed? What happened? He says there, I thought it was good to declare the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. Chapter 4 is King Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. A testimony is what you and I as believers in Jesus Christ have in common with Nebuchadnezzar that Saddam Hussein never had. A testimony of what God has done in your life and in my life. And our testimonies basically boil down to this. What God has done for me. What God has done in my life. Each one of you, if I were to go through the room here and ask each one of you, what's your testimony? How have you come to faith in Christ Jesus? You would have a story to tell, and it would be different. Everyone's story is different. Um, Why should we share our testimonies with others? I like this psalm, Psalm 71, 18. It says, Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. That's basically, in essence, what a testimony is, declaring God's strength to this generation. You and I, we're born, we're we're part of this generation, and for you and I, our testimonies, why is it good to share our testimonies? We're to share with people, hey, God is still on the throne. God is still strong. This is how He changed my life. Uh, And also declaring God's power to the next generation generation. You see, that's the message that you and I have for the world. God's able to change your life. God's able to take you in your situation and transform you like he did me. His strength is just, his strength is available to change people today. It's not just, you know, sometimes we look at these Bible stories and how God interacted with people in the Bible and we go, well, that was back then. Look at all those wonderful things that God did back then. But the truth is, God is still at work. And God has worked in each one of our hearts and in our lives to bring us to this place in our lives. And so that's the message that we have for people. God's strength is available today for you. And uh, some of you already have, I know I do, uh, most of you eventually will have the opportunity to declare God's power to the next generation as well. When you have children and grandchildren, uh, then you'll be able to declare to that generation. Now, it's not just enough to declare that God can change a person's life. 
You know, you go up to someone on the street and go, hey, you know, God can change your life. They go, great. Okay, that's wonderful. That's, you're telling me that. But you see, that's where our testimony comes in. Because you say, let me tell you how he changed my life. And then you give them your story. And so a vital aspect of sharing your testimony is describing basically what were you like before God invaded your world? What were you like before? What did you struggle with? How has a relationship with Jesus Christ changed your life? How are you different now than you were before? And you know, sometimes we think, well, you know, I don't have this really, you know, awful or, you know, wonderful testimony of how I was so far doing this and then God invaded my world and now I'm completely 180 degrees difference. That's some people's testimonies. But that's not everybody's testimonies. But there is no right and wrong testimony. Your testimony is your story. How has God got a hold of your heart and your life? And that's that's what we're to share with people. And so in this declaration, Nebuchadnezzar describes how God changed him. His testimony. So beginning with verse 4, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Now get the picture here. Nebuchadnezzar, the world ruler of this time, uh, the most powerful man of his generation, without argument, the most powerful person, probably the most wealthy individual of his generation, certainly the most successful of his generation, the guy who seemed to have everything together in his generation. He has this dream, he has this vision, and it troubles him, and it makes him afraid. You know, you and I, sometimes we look at people in in our generation, in this life, and our contemporaries, and there are some people that you would look at, and maybe they're super successful, they're super famous, or they're super wealthy, and you go, they would never turn their hearts to Jesus Christ. They they, They probably don't feel like they need God. And so sometimes we might look at some people and think that, you know, they would, they're, they're the furthest away from the gospel uh, coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But the, the answer, the truth is, even the most uh, successful, the most wealthy person, the most powerful person, the person that you think has it all together, even they struggle with the same fears and with the same thoughts that everyone else does, right? Everyone thinks about their mortality at some point in their life. They realize, you know, someday I'm not going to be here. Someday I'm going to die. I mean, that's, that's, that's on everybody's hearts. And some people try to, you know, they don't want to talk about it. They kind of, they don't want to think about it. But in reality, it comes back to them. Eventually, they always, they, everybody, we all do. We think about our own mort- mortality. Not only that, we wonder, well, what happens after this life? And it's interesting I saw uh, an interview with uh, this this rock star guy, and and he was giving his views on religion, and he's like, "Well, I think this," and he and he was listing off all this stuff that he believed, and basically what it was is it was just his opinion about life. It wasn't based on anything, you know. He didn't say, "Well, the Bible says this," or you know, whatever. He, it's just this is how I view things, and and so everybody has an opinion about the afterlife. Some people say, "Well, there's nothing." You just die and there's nothing after. But everyone has an opinion because everyone's thought about it. 
Everyone's had to reach their own conclusions about it. Everyone wonders, what's the purpose of life? You know, you look at people... Man, I am falling apart here. You look at people like, uh, uh, you know, um, Robin Williams. Man, a successful actor. Very funny person. A person you just, you know, on the surface, you man, that guy's got it all together, and he kills himself. And how many famous people, how many successful people that we've known, we've heard about, or that we're aware of, it's like they come to this point in their life, they've, you know, they've been successful in whatever their pursuits were, they get to the end and they've achieved all that they've wanted to achieve, and they go, what's the purpose? And they end up taking their lives as a result because they're in despair, because they don't know the purpose. But you and I, who have given our hearts to Jesus Christ... Those questions, those issues have been settled through our relationship with Jesus Christ. I know, I'm aware of my mortality, but I also know that I have eternal life through Jesus Christ. I know that there's an afterlife. I know that there's, there's a heaven and a hell. And I know that one day all men are going to stand before God at the judgment seat. I know that at the, at the great white throne judgment. Um, I know that there's purpose to my life. I'm, I'm, I'm alive to glorify God and to praise and to worship Him and to live for Him in this generation. So you and I, we have those. We, those are settled for us. But for so many other people, they struggle with that. And, and Nebuchadnezzar was no different. He struggled with that. And so Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and it perplexed him and it caused him great anxiety. Look at verse 6. Therefore I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. Now things are a little bit different here. Remember the first dream that Nebuchadnezzar had? He's like, I've got this dream, and he, and he called all the wise men and said, tell me the dream. And they're like, well, well, wait a minute, you tell us the dream, we'll tell you the interpretation. He said, no, 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 tell me the dream first. And then you can tell me the interpretation. They're like, well, nobody's ever asked that before. He didn't do that this time, notice. This time he tells them the dream, but he wants to know the interpretation. But notice, and it may not be, maybe it's just the wording, but it doesn't say that they were unable to tell him the meaning of the dream, only that they didn't give him the interpretation of the dream. And we'll revisit that here in a little bit. Verse 8, But at last Daniel came before uh, became before me, excuse me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had given Daniel that name. He named him after his God, the god Bel, one of the gods, one of the deities of Babylon. And so Daniel's name was Belteshazzar. Um, and at that point in Nebuchadnezzar's life, he still worshiped idols. And notice he says, speaking of Daniel, he says, In him is the spirit of the holy God. Now, that's the New King James Version, which is what I'm reading from. If you have a King James Version, it says he has the spirit of the holy gods, plural. So, you know, you, gotta, you wonder, well, is Nebuchadnezzar recognizing that Daniel was filled with the Holy Spirit? Which, when you read the New King James, is kind of what it sounds like. Or, when you're reading the regular King James, or the, the original King James, was Nebuchadnezzar basically saying that Daniel was endowed with special supernatural gifts from, you know, uh, from, from the gods, so to speak, uh, to interpret dreams? 
Who knows? <laughs> it, it, but at this point, it doesn't matter. Because even though he recognized that Daniel had this ability, whether it was from the Holy Spirit or whether, whether Nebuchadnezzar thought it was just from the gods, it still wasn't enough to transform Nebuchadnezzar's life. It still didn't transform him, the fact that he knew this about Daniel. The reason why is because Nebuchadnezzar himself needed a personal encounter with God, with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of Israel, of course, the God of of Daniel. You know, it's good for you and I that people know that we're believers. Uh, it's, It's... you know, some people uh, kind of keep a low profile. I know for many years of my life, I kept a low profile, kind of like a secret agent for the Lord, you know. And, and, uh, but it's good for people to know that we are believers. And hopefully, they recognize something different in each one of us. Hopefully, your coworkers, your family that's not saved, your neighbors, whatever, your community, the people that you're involved with, hopefully, hopefully they look at your life and go, there's something different about that person. Because we don't want to be just like everybody else because then we're just like everybody else, right? Um, so hopefully they recognize that there's something different about us. But even that, knowing that you're different and that you're, indivi- and that you're a believer and all that, that's not enough to transform an individual. They need an encounter with God uh, themselves to trans- be transformed. And so for you and I, that's, that's the thing we ought to be praying for people. Asking God, God, reveal yourself to this person. Show yourself to them. Show them your glory. Interact and let them see your hand in their lives. It's a good way to pray for those that are not saved. And so anyways, Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel his dream here. Verse 8, and he says, And I told the dream before him, saying, verse 9, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth. And its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was uh, was fed from it. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream about this huge tree that grew large and became very strong. And it was so big that it could be seen from all the ends of the earth, right? All the world looked at this tall, magnificent tree. And not only that, but it provided food, it provided shade, and it provided shelter for all living creatures on the earth. Quite a tree. Verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times, excuse me, let seven times pass over him. So this angel 
which is described as a, as a watcher, believe it's an angel, comes down from heaven and commands that this great marvelous tree be chopped down. And all those animals, all those creatures that found shade and shelter under it, of course, they'd be scattered because the tree came down. But this watcher commands to leave the stump and the roots in the ground, exposed to the elements, but bound with iron and bronze. So either the iron and bronze was to protect the stump or it was basically a symbol of taking away its freedom. Um, But then the dream takes a twist. It started out with this tree, right? This, This tree that gets cut down. But then he starts describing a person. He says, And let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. And let him be given the heart of a beast. And let seven times pass over him. Verse 17, this decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. It's interesting because that word watcher there in Daniel chapter 4 is the only place in the Bible where that word is used. Um, Now, I presume, maybe you do too, that it's referring to an angel, right? Angels are messengers of God, and so God has this message that he sends this angel to declare. Um, But it's interesting that here they're called watchers, and it could be alluding to Scripture that speaks of angels all around us that are observing our lives, right? In Psalm 34, verse 7, The Bible says the angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers them. Angels are all around us. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. We assume he's talking about the children that had gathered around him. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So in other words, you know, don't harm the little ones because they have angels that report back to me about what's going on in their lives. Um, And then also both in Ephesians 3.10 and 1 Peter 1.12, those verses, we're not going to read them, but they seem to indicate that angels are watching you and I and they're interested in how God interacts in the lives of mankind. That it, It fascinates them to see the grace of God in your and my life. Um, and so it could be why the watchers, why they're referred to as watchers. Uh, but the reason for the watchers' degree, decree is this, in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. God rules in the kingdom of men. Just as Daniel said in Daniel chapter 2 to Nebuchadnezzar, the first dream, he removes kings and he raises up kings. God's the one that puts people in positions of authority and prominence. You know, man often makes the prideful assumption that they somehow attained uh, some position or status in life by doing, you know, by something that they've done. But the the truth is, God's the one that appoints people. And God can give the highest rank to the lowest of people. Verse 18, This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. 
Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the, holy, for the Spirit of the Holy God is in you. Now, <clears throat> it's possible, uh, the Scripture doesn't tell us, but it's possible and maybe even probable that the wise men who they heard this dream, uh, they probably knew that the dream was referring to Nebuchadnezzar. You know, speaking about, you know, uh, uh, that that this person, whoever in this dream would know uh, that uh, God rules in the kingdom of men and, and gives it to whoever he will. You know, they probably figured it had something to do with Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe they didn't understand the entire uh, dream itself and, and all the ramifications, but they knew, I think, they knew that it had something to do with the king, and that's why they didn't say anything. They probably feared, you know, uh, saying nothing is safer than saying anything at all. I mean, who wants to give bad news to a king, right? King, you know, this is what's going to happen. Um, but Daniel was not like that. It says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. So, you know, here Belteshazzar, he hears the dream and his heart, it just sinks. And he doesn't say anything. And Nebuchadnezzar's looking at him and it's like, oh, there's something, you know, he's like, okay, tell me the dream. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. You see, Daniel knew exactly what the dream meant, and it broke his heart. God was going to humble Nebuchadnezzar. And rather than rejoicing over the downfall of the wicked, man, Daniel's heart was broken. You know, Daniel, in a few more verses, is lately, is going to short, in a few verses from now, he's going to acknowledge Nebuchadnezzar's uh, wickedness. But here you could just see the love that Daniel had for the king. You know, Samuel the prophet, he was the prophet of Israel when, when King Saul was made king over Israel, the first king that, uh, that the nation had. And uh, King Saul, for a while, he did pretty good. He started out well, but he didn't finish well. And he started rebelling against the Lord, and, and he kept sinning against the Lord. And uh, in the Bible, uh, it says that Samuel the prophet never saw King Saul again, um, after Saul had turned away from the Lord. But it says, but he mourned over Saul's sin until the day of his death. So, you know, Samuel was, a, was basically like a minister to Saul. And when Saul turned away from the Lord, Samuel stopped fellowshipping with him, went away from him, stepped away from him, and never visited him again. But in his heart, man, he was just broken over the sin and over what had happened to Saul. Ezra the prophet was told of the compromise and sin of the people of Israel uh, and the priests and the Levites in Ezra chapter 9. And he grieved, the Bible says, and he sat speechless for hours. Jeremiah, we went through the book of Jeremiah not too long ago. Jeremiah wept over the sin of his people, and he kept praying over the nation of Judah to repent of their sins. Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem, knowing that what would befall them for rejecting him. It broke his heart. Rather than saying, you're getting what you deserve, man, it broke their heart. Man, I would pray that the Lord would give you and I that same heart for the lost around us. 
And we look at people, you know, and we see the wickedness that's going on in this world around us. And sometimes it's like, yeah, well, I just, I hope God just, you know, gets them. But really, our heart should be the heart of the Lord. It just breaks our hearts over the sin. And we weep and we mourn and we cry and we pray for those that are caught up in, and that they're really deceived by the enemy. Verse 20. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. For your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king." They shall drive you away from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. See, Daniel told the truth to Nebuchadnezzar, not with gleeful joy over his downfall, but with heaviness of, heaviness of heart, man. You're the tree, king. But you're going to be cut down and driven from men. You will live like a beast out in the open for seven seasons. Now, it's interesting. Some people say that this was literally seven seasons, which would be about three and a half years. Others believe that seven seasons means seven years. That's what I happen to believe. Um, but in, in any case, seven seasons are going to pass over you, what, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever He chooses. Verse 26, And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. And so, as so often is the case with God's judgment, there's also mercy in God's judgment. Verse 27, Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Do you see Daniel's heart here? Not only did it break his heart over the sin of Nebuchadnezzar and over the, the humbling that, would, that God was going to do in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He was compassionate towards Nebuchadnezzar that you and I, we need to be compassionate over those that are lost. But not only that, but he loved Nebuchadnezzar enough to be honest with him. And we need to be, love people enough to be honest with them too. Basically, the cause of Nebuchadnezzar's judgment was his sin. And Daniel was specific here. You're living unrighteously, king. You are unmerciful to the poor. Apparently, that was, an, that was something that Nebuchadnezzar was. He didn't show mercy to poor. Daniel calls it like it is. But you can sense the heart of love. Daniel wasn't just judgmental. This is all, you know, his heart broke for the king 
but he loved them enough to tell them the truth. That, that's an area where maybe that's a struggle for us. You know, we're compassionate. Maybe we have that compassion over those that we know that are struggling in sin. But, but you know what? We also need to be honest with them. We need to tell them the truth, but in love. And so Daniel says, turn from your sin. Perhaps God's judgment will be delayed. Perhaps he won't pass this judgment on you. Verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. So he heard this. He received this from Daniel. And days passed, and nothing happened. He didn't get cut down. His kingdom wasn't taken from him. Days passed, they turned into weeks. Weeks passed, and they turned into months. And pretty soon, an entire year had passed, and God's judgment had not come. And Nebuchadnezzar made the same mistake that many people mistake, and that is that they mistake God's patience for God's condoning of their sin. Now, nothing's happening to me, so God must be ignoring me or things are okay. Look at verse 29. And at the end of the 12 months, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is this not Uh, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? And you know, to be honest, the city of Babylon was very impressive. Uh, Its its gardens were one of the seven wonders of the world, the hanging gardens of Babylon. It had walls, and when we get into chapter 5, we'll talk about how massive the walls of the city of Babylon were. And it had towers. They they were like eight-story buildings, tallest in, that, in the world in those days, in ancient Babylon. It was, a, it was an architectural wonder. It was, a, it was an amazing thing, a very large city. So there was something that you know, Nebuchadnezzar could look at and go, wow, I built these. But the interesting thing is, Nebuchadnezzar had heard the word of the Lord through the prophet Daniel a couple times now. He had also saw the work of the Lord through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but he still hadn't acknowledged God. And yet God was pursuing Nebuchadnezzar, and God wasn't going to let him go. I I remember a a time in my life where I was trying to run from God, and God pursued me. Remember uh, uh, Jonah? God sent Jonah on a mission, and Jonah went the other way. God pursued Jonah. Maybe that's one of your testimonies. Maybe that's many of your testimonies. You know, God was pursuing you and brought you to this place in your life. Well, Nebuchadnezzar refused. Even even hearing the word of the Lord, even seeing God's work in other people's lives, Nebuchadnezzar still refused to acknowledge God, and he committed the oldest sin of all, and that's the sin of pride. That's the oldest sin because that's the sin that Lucifer committed when he rebelled against God and was cast down out of heaven. That's the very first sin, the sin of pride. And human pride is what prevents many people from coming to a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because people that you and I talk to, they don't want to acknowledge their sinfulness. I'm not that bad of a person. They don't want to acknowledge their need for a Savior. You know, I'll just be good and, you know, I'll, I'll deal with it when I, when I stand before the big guy. You know, I mean, you hear the, some of the weirdest explanations from people. But that's human pride. I don't need a Savior. I'm not a sinner. Verse 31. 
While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Now God's judgment was a year. It was delayed a year. And in that time, Nebuchadnezzar thought, hey, you know, that must have been, maybe Daniel was mistaken. And and he just ignored God's warnings and went on and living his life and and then this happened. But as soon as God's judgment happened within the hour, man, that's it. You know, we're living in a day of God's grace and God's patience. And God's, you know, some people say, well, why hasn't Jesus returned yet? And the reason why is because Jesus is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And there are people out there in this generation that Jesus still wants to reach. He still wants to save them. That's why we're here so that we can share our testimonies. We can be salt and light in our generation. But when that judgment comes, it's going to be swift, and it's going to happen fast. And that's what happened here. That judgment happened within the very hour that judgment was fulfilled in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And he was driven from men, ate grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. You know, they actually have a clinical term for someone who is under the delusion that they are an ox. It's called boanthropy. Boanthropy, probably, that's the right way to say it. It's where people think that they're an ox. And apparently, in 1946, there was a guy who was diagnosed with this case. Well, apparently, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had this illness where he thought he was an ox. He acted like an animal and uh, actually lived out in in the wild. Now, whether he was out of the city of Babylon or within the courtyard, we, we don't really know. But for seven seasons, seven years or maybe three and a half years, whatever, um, God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. And he basically lost his mind during that time. Verse 34. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him who lives forever. Does that sound familiar to you? I'm thinking right now the parable of the prodigal son. Same situation. Nebuchadnezzar, like the, the prodigal son, reached a point where his reason returned to him. And what did he do? Instead of looking down, instead of looking around, he looked up to God. He looked up to the God of heaven. You know, the thing is, God knew exactly what it would take to humble Nebuchadnezzar, and he knew how long it was going to take. God had a certain amount of time decreed for Nebuchadnezzar. And God has a plan and a purpose that he does in people's lives. And, but God's purpose is not to destroy people. God's purpose is to draw them to him. And if a person is stubborn and refuses and stiff-necked, God will, God will let them, he'll, he'll deal with them in a way to draw them to him. That's God's plan. 
And then Nebuchadnezzar says, For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? Think about this. Here, Nebuchadnezzar, a king over human kings, I mean, he was the world ruler at this time, reached a point where he acknowledged that even he, the king, the world ruler, is subject to the king of heaven. That's an amazing thing. Verse 36, At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways are justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. God humbled Nebuchadnezzar, and when uh, it was basically when Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged God in humility, God in his grace restored him uh, to his kingdom. Like I said, God's purpose was not to destroy Nebuchadnezzar, but he wanted to change him. You know, the Bible warns you and I, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. In Proverbs 6, uh, there's a list of six things that the Lord hates. And you know what the numero, numero uno one is? And the number one thing, it's in Proverbs six seventeen: a proud look. God hates pride. Pride is the sin of Lucifer. Pride is the sin that keeps people from coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And so God will deal with the pride of people, of individuals. Now, I believe Nebuchadnezzar became a worshiper of the one true God at this point. You know, I mean, you look at this testimony that he made, this declaration. How many world leaders do you know of that acknowledge that they are prideful and in humility, honor God. How many world leaders? There's not very many. In fact, there's, usually they don't. They, you know, they don't want to show any kind of weakness. But Nebuchadnezzar made this decree. It was issued to his entire kingdom. It's, that was Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. So I believe Nebuchadnezzar became a believer in, in God. And uh, I believe we'll, we'll see him in, in eternity. Of course, we won't know that we're there, but I believe it. Uh, his testimony was the evidence of his changed life. God was able to take the most powerful, the most influential, the most famous, probably the most wealthy man of his generation, and God was able to transform him. And if God can do that for a ruler of a world empire, God can transform anyone that you're praying for, anyone that you're witnessing to, anyone that you care about that's not saved. God has the power to transform them. And your testimony, and Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, is basically simply that. And that's what our testimony is to this generation. The story how God transformed you and I and gave us hope and a new purpose in life. So for me, the the entire, kind of the the whole point of chapter 4, I hope, is an encouragement to you to share your testimony with this generation. Because look what God did in that generation, through the most powerful man on the face of the planet. God took him and humbled him, and I believe he became a believer in God. And God can do that with anybody here. So I want to encourage you to pray for those 
that you're interacting with. Don't be afraid to share your testimony. Maybe you've never shared your testimony. You know, you might think, well, I, I don't even know how I would share a testimony. It's basically, what were you like before you came to a relationship with Jesus Christ? What, what, what were your thoughts? How did you live your life? What did you struggle with in your life? How has God changed your life? Because you see, that's what the world's looking for. They're looking for answers. And a lot of people look for it in different things. And they think, well, if I'm successful, if I become a star, if I become famous on Facebook, you know, I mean, that's a new thing. Everybody thinks that they're famous, right, on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Um, You know, that'll that'll satisfy me. When the truth is, they find out that it doesn't satisfy them because that's not the answer. And you and I know the answer. It's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to share your testimony with people. Tell people, hey, this is how God changed my life. Why don't you stand up and let's go, Lord, in prayer.